Welcome to the DTB podcast on the withdrawal of Mixstar 30 from the UK market. My name's Ike Yanachar and I'm editor of DTB. And I'm joined by Cathy Moulton, Care Advisor at Diabetes UK. Hello. Dr. Wing Mei Cole, consultant, clinical endocrinologist, and member of the DTB editorial board. Hello. And David Fazakali, DTB's deputy editor. Hello. The point of the podcast is to discuss issues surrounding the withdrawal of the insulin product Mixstar 30 from the UK market. I should at this point declare an interest for DTB in that we've produced an editorial taking issue with this withdrawal. But I hope that this podcast looks at broader issues than simply our particular take on the subject. In particular, we want to uh, explore what implications um, the, the disappearance of this drug from the market might have for patients and professionals. With, with that health warning in mind, perhaps I could start with you, Cathy, to say in, in brief, initially, what your view on, on the withdrawal of this drug from the market is, what impact you think it will have, um, and, and what needs to happen in order to, to ensure that it doesn't cause more problems than it might otherwise do. Well, Diabetes UK was very disappointed when we heard about the withdrawal, and uh, especially in such a short time space. Um, it takes away yet another choice from people with diabetes. Um, also, there are a large number of people still using Mixtard 30, over 90,000. And that's not just elderly people, children as well are being prescribed it. It's a twice daily regimen and people are very comfortable and happy on it. So we made representation to Nova Nordisk, um, hoping that they would reconsider. Uh, they haven't done so, and that's when no Diabetes UK realised that our remit had to be to help um, healthcare professionals prepare for this changeover, to give them as much um, useful advice and support as we could, and also to use um, our links with the people with diabetes through our magazine balance to let them know that the change is coming so that it's not a huge shock to them at the end of the year. So, if I could summarise, a bad decision, but one that you're having to live with on, on behalf of the people you represent. Yes, that's right. Wing Mei? Uh, I think it's um, very disappointing from a clinical perspective. Guidelines, and in this country, other European countries the same, are that the conventional mixed insulin should be the first-line choice and the company are effectively removing the first-line biphasic insulin. So the clinical evidence doesn't support this move. Um, multiple um, randomised control trials have failed to show a benefit of Novamix 30 over Mixtard 30 in terms of either glycemic control, weight gain, or incidence of hypoglycemia. Novamix 30 being? The analogue biphasic insulin. Um, have failed to show a benefit. Um, and yet, despite this, um, the first-line drug is being removed with the company's alternative being the analogue biphasic insulin, for which there is no good clinical evidence to show superiority, but it's more expensive. So it doesn't make economic sense and it doesn't make clinical sense. So again, a bad decision. A bad decision. I suppose that um, people listening to this without as 
as uh, well-developed knowledge as you or, or Cathy have on the subject, might say, well, aren't you making a fuss about nothing? There's plenty of choice in terms of insulin. The company have um, given a very generous timetable for the withdrawal, whatever their reasons for, for withdrawing the drug. Um, so there really shouldn't be a, a lot of problem in converting people to an alternative. As a clinician, I think the feeling is that we should be prescribing medications for our patients on the basis of clinical evidence. And the clinical evidence does not support the use of biphasic analogue insulins as first-line treatment, and yet it feels that we're being forced down that route effectively by removing the conventional human biphasic insulin from the market. Cathy, what, what would you say to my point, that, that actually it's a, a fuss about nothing, really, that, that it can all be managed perfectly well, there's plenty of time, there's plenty of choice? I think when you look at the impact it has on healthcare professionals, um, a lot of people going in being quite anxious. So not only are the healthcare professionals having to deal with the understanding of changing to a different regimen, uh, but also they're having to deal with the emotional impact of people who, um, by the very anxiety, may well not adjust easily. And we all know that healthcare professionals are really, really working flat out at the moment and somehow they've got to find much much more time to give to something that we feel um, didn't really have to happen. Mm -hmm. I think just adding to Cathy's point, I mean, core to you know the relationship between the healthcare professional and the patient and particularly so in the management of chronic diseases like diabetes is the trust. And when this change is thrust upon patients, because they're not having a choice in this, they're being told you're going to have to change your insulin, even if you were completely happy with it. Um, it's, it's difficult for that not to affect the trust relationship between the two. And as, as Cathy says, I, I agree that I think it's going to have an impact on patients and the relationship between healthcare professionals and patients, which is, goes beyond the economic um, impacts. So we've talked a lot about the, the disruptive effect on patients and the health service in terms of the switchover. Wingmei, what, what do you think about the potential for cost implications of, of switching from mixed R30 to alternative types of, of insulin? Well, the, the alternatives are around 30% more expensive. So we have 90,000 people. Arguably, if everybody was treated according to NICE guidelines, there should be more people on conventional mixed insulin. And, and I think the issue is that although compared to the total NHS cost, it, it is a tiny amount, but within diabetes, that is money that could be spent more effectively in other ways, um, because this is not to promote better prescribing. It, it's being forced upon um, patients and healthcare professionals. Um, and it's, it's more expensive in terms of the actual prescribing costs and in the manpower costs. So the healthcare professional time could be better used and the money could be better used. Cathy, do you have a view on that? There is always that anxiety that if um, money has to be allocated and the drug budget has rocketed up because of this, that there will be cuts made somewhere else. Um, people with diabetes are at risk of such life-threatening uh, complications that any cuts anywhere in their their care can have such devastating effects that this is really quite worrying um, and you know sort of it's it's putting the person who is relying on that um, drug right in the middle of the whole argument all the time and 
remembering that they don't have any control over the budgets and so on. Um, and it seems such a sad thing to um, to get rid of something that has been so effective um, and replace it with something that might actually impact in other on other areas of their care. Mm. And from a patient point of view, are we talking about a homogeneous group of users of, of mixed or does it cover all ages, all ranges, all types of patient? As far as we understand, it covers a vast age range um, from children up to the elderly, um, who we all know we have to be so careful with because um, a hypoglycemic episode, a fall, a broken hip, it can cause all sorts of devastating life changes. And both patients with type 1 and type 2 diabetes? Yes. And have you started to get feedback from from those people who will be affected? Um, we have a care line which is run by trained counsellors who are there to deal with the emotional aspects of any problem with living with diabetes. And they have taken a few calls from people with diabetes, but I don't think that the information has really impacted yet. It's only a month yeah. since it was made public. And I, I think as we get closer to the end of the year, then there'll be an upsurge in anxiety levels. And is it quite possible that, that the clinicians and healthcare professionals have probably put this in the to-do tray but haven't got round to it yet because six months seems a long time in everyday life but actually it's not that long in terms of changing somebody's prescriptions are one, two or maybe three months ahead. I mean certainly within our trust we're kind of sitting down to think well how are we going to approach this systematically so when patients have been coming for the past few weeks we've been raising it with them but these patients at least they've got the best part of six months to make the change but we realise and working with our primary care trust that we're actually going to have to approach this systematically because there will be some people who may not be due for their next kind of routine review with either their GP, their diabetes specialist nurse or their hospital physician um, before Christmas time and they will need to be called. And I think once you start calling people up specifically with a change, that will increase the anxiety levels. So your message would be identify the patients now start planning for the for the change and start calling them in over the next three to four months? Absolutely, yes. The sooner the better. I think particularly um, it's a smaller number. It still will run into the tens of thousands of patients who are using the Inolet device, which um, it's a fantastic device. It's not like any of the other insulin delivery devices. For those people that aren't familiar with it, it looks like an egg timer. So it's got a very intuitive dial-up. It's also got the largest numbers. And so people with... Um, reduced vision can use it much more easily and it requires much less manual dexterity so patients who've got coordination problems or bad arthritis in their hands it actually gives them independence in their insulin administration and for many of those patients I think they will have real difficulties adjusting with the other adjusting to one of the different forms of insulin devices I suspect many of them will not manage with one of the insulin pens and then the question is then who will give them their insulin and will they have to become dependent on other carers to give them their insulin, which is is a huge impact. But let's take the the company's perspective. One of the arguments they use is that that use of this particular product in the UK is going down anyway. Um, Is it possible we're just seeing a, a... a, a natural decline which is just going to be accelerated anyway by this, this switch over in six months' time? I think one of the questions is why is it declining when our you know, NICE guidance recommends it as first-line treatment? And I think we really need to look at why has the analogue biphasic insulin overtaken conventional insulin even though it is the second-line advised treatment? 
certainly my personal experience is that patients and clinicians who are training patients how to use insulin devices prefer the FlexPen, which is Novador Discs' disposable delivery device for their biphasic analogue insulin. And it's a very easy-to-use pen, um, so that's attractive both to patients and also, obviously, to the healthcare professionals who are fairly confident the patients will use it correctly. Um, but Mixtar 30 is not available in that device, and really that's you know, leads us to wonder to what extent is it device-driven, this, this drift from the conventional mixed insulin to the analogue mixed insulin. Um, and it's interesting in Germany, where there's been much more effective lobbying, I think, by healthcare professionals, that the conventional mixed insulin is available in the flex pen, whilst in the UK market it's not. So um, your view is that if it were, we might not seem quite such a decline. That that would be my my view from the experience talking to our diabetes specialist nurses, who I think in our trust they do most of the actual education and training of patients and I think that's the same across the country um, they like the flex pen and when asked well, why do you use it well they say well you suggested a biphasic insulin we gave the patients the choice and they like the flex pen so having nice guidance that sets out which insulin to go for is perhaps second to, to advising which device to go for because if you're saying it's driven by by device choice rather than insulin choice maybe we should focus more on the uh, cost economics of, of the devices rather than the insulins themselves. For patients starting insulin, which will usually be the situation um, when they're choosing which device to go on and they'll be shown the various devices, how they are, and it's, as I say, it's a very simple device and they say, yeah, I'll go for that one. NICE should have perhaps thought about that for, for products such as insulin where the device is a very important aspect of choice and actually have, have taken that as um, some form of negotiation with the companies. Um, which I understand is what happened in Germany, and their insulins are available in all the devices. They haven't been able to exert any control over what's being prescribed by determining which device they put insulins in. One thing this this change obviously does do is is opportunity to call patients in and review their care, albeit forced. You know, it's, it's something that's going to have to be done. If you could advise healthcare professionals on a sort of mini care pathway, what would you want them to do in that slot when they call these people in? What would the steps be that they need to go through with, with the individual patients to help manage this transition as smoothly as possible? And what opportunities are there for them to, to actually get added value out of this contact? I think um, being open with the patient about the reason for the drug being withdrawn and then explain to the patients what their choices are and that the simplest thing would be to go to the alternative first-line agent for mixed insulin, which is a conventional human mixed insulin. But again, we have to go through the devices with the patients and be happy that they would be confident using the device that's chosen. Um, And I think use it as an opportunity to review with the patient on how their diabetes are doing, offering the chance to have any of their parameters checked, making sure they're up to date with all their screening, um, up to date with lots of education. I mean, some of the educational courses that are available, older established diabetics may not have made use of them. So I think the opportunity can be used in a positive way, not simply for the withdrawal. And I think not only at that time when you're calling the person in, but you also um, need to be offering um, much more close follow-up, at least in the short term, for maybe six months um, Mm. minimum. I think that is the only thing that will allay their anxiety, knowing that they are going to be closely followed up and that they have the means to contact people 
quickly if they're feeling that they're having more hypos and you know sort of all of this has got to be explained to them so that um, that they feel confident to um, to carry on with their normal life. When you look at the change from animal to human insulin the kind of backlash to that change happened in the year following the change not straight away when people started saying I'm getting hypoglycemia um, I'm losing my awareness of hypoglycemia it, there is a, a significant chance if um, we go by what happened with the change from animal to human insulin that in the next year um, people will be blaming you know changes in hypoglycemia um, they will say that it's because my insulin was changed I didn't want it to be changed why did it have to be changed okay um, I suppose one of the things I would hope very much is that we're not, by airing these issues, adding to patients' anxieties. So perhaps I could I could ask both of you to, to say what your message would be to, to, to patients who perhaps have, have some vague notion that this is happening but, but weren't aware perhaps of all of the, the background issues that we've discussed so far in this podcast. What would your message be to them? Perhaps I could start with you, Cathy. Well, certainly um, we would say go and talk to your healthcare professional, whether it be your doctor or your nurse, um, the person that you feel most comfortable with, go and talk to them if you're using mixed hard 30. Um, this is going to happen and sooner rather than later, um, find out what their plans are, um, make sure that um, that they are aware um, of your feelings about it as well and then work in partnership to get the very very best result from this changeover. Thank you and presumably you'd echo that. I definitely I think the important thing is um, not to just leave it in the um, to-do tray if you're not called in by your health care professional in the next month or so is actually to make an appointment and go and have a discussion about it um, any anxieties you have that opportunity to air those and and you can be reassured that the alternatives there are there are safe and good and equally effective alternatives as i say it's it's just unfortunate that the choice has been reduced down by this decision okay kathy mcmay thank you very much thank you